Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig, and I'm uh, here today to help you uh, provide information to help organizations get better, faster broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. I cannot emphasize enough that it's not just the connection speed that gives the gigabit its power, it's what you do with the applications. And we get so fixated with the the, the, the speed and the technology that I think people lose sight of what they're trying to do with the uh, technology. Uh, today, um, at the show, we have Will Barkus, who is the technologist for uh, Orange, the telecom powerhouse in France, and the head of a project that just completed this weekend called uh, um, Big Hacks. And then also joining us is Aaron Deacon, who is there with um, folks in Kansas City. He is the director of the um, KC Digital Drive and was the lead organizer of the um, Big Hacks event uh, this weekend. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. So you guys had this event over this weekend that it pulled in five cities across the U.S. What is a hackathon, for those who may not know, and when, what were you trying to do with this in uh, the cities that you were doing this in uh, over the weekend? Sure. Let's start with that. Um, well. Yeah, this is Will. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll jump in. Aaron, obviously, feel free to interrupt or uh, add on. Um, so a hackathon, uh, let's see. So before before working for Orange, I worked for Mozilla for a couple of years. We have a lot of cheesy expressions uh, such as, um, <clears throat> you know, less yak, more hack. And so this, this is sort of an embodiment of that idea of getting a community together, getting a bunch of people together in the same kind of space and just – quote-unquote hacking on something. So, you know, we we use terms like hackathon or, or hack event or even sometimes hack jam, <laughs> kind of like a nerd hootenanny. You know, you get, get a bunch of people together and work on something. And hack here, you know, just to restate what I think has is, is become a change in the way the term is used, is really means to, to make, to build, to, you know, kind of throw something together in an experimental, you know, prototype kind of way um, and not – you know, the kind of negative, like, hack into someone's system. Um, right. You know, this sort of scary hacker. So this is a hackathon for good, trying to make new things. Um, and so, in, and so it's, you know, it was a 48-hour kind of event. Started Friday, ended Sunday. Um, and this one was unique for, you know, a number of different reasons. Uh, Aaron and I actually worked very closely on, on two hack events that we ran in Kansas City at the Google Fiber Space, previously that were focused on gigabit um, applications and we can unpack what we what we mean by that in a minute but um you know we we uh this is the first we sorry we've done where we tried to bring together communities across the country so this is five cities san francisco yeah the google fiber space in kansas city chattanooga tennessee has a uh, at the public library has a new quote unquote gig lab and <clears throat> burlington vermont actually has a fiber network that they, and they brought a, a community together. And then Charlotte, North Carolina joined us as well, um, kind of more towards the last minute. But, but we, we pulled together five cities to do a, the first of its kind, you know, 
cross-country gigabit-focused hackathon. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, you want to throw anything on top of that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot uh, to it. There's a lot to it, so it's hard to, it, you know. It, well, we've got an hour, so, you know, we can. We do have an hour. <laughs> we've yeah, got a lot fine. of ground to cover. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the 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 idea of what, the, I mean, thinking, going back to the question, you know, what is a hackathon and what are we trying to accomplish? There are there are a couple ways of looking at this. And over the three events that Will was describing, uh, I think we've evolved our thinking of this a little bit. Um, and, and so there is, you know, the, the traditional hackathon is really focused. It's uh, very time-bound, and it's um, you know what what can you create out of nothing in uh, a 48-hour period or 50 you know four-hour period, whatever it is. So you have people coming together on Friday night. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times people are presented with a particular challenge or maybe a particular piece of software or hardware that they want to explore, and say, you know, what what can you code really over over two days, and then you've got this demo on Sunday afternoon. Um, and, and it's really cool. Uh, but we found, for, for a couple of reasons, uh, that we like to take a little bit longer view of the process. Uh, one of those reasons is it's really hard for people to know what to do with a gigabit in a weekend. Because sometimes, if you, depending on who your developer group that you're working with is, um, you know, they may or may not be used to how you develop for gigabit networks, and it's different. The, the range of things that are available to you is different. Um, you know, your typical, especially software developers, are really trying to develop for the worst network environment that they might encounter in the real world. And we're challenging people to develop for uh, a, a souped-up super network. So that's, that's a little bit of a challenge to come in and do you know, cold. Um, and then the other thing for us organizationally is there's – it's it's a lot of fun to come together and try to build something over a weekend, and there's a lot of community built, and there's a lot of you know kind of connections made and, and introductions to people. But what I really want to see is cool gigabit network-driven projects that happen in Kansas City and that happen in these other cities, and that is a much longer process. So that's great if you you know show something cool on Sunday afternoon, but if we actually have a um, you know, a, a telehealth application that exists and is serving customers in Kansas City a year from now, that's a much more exciting application to me. So um, we we kind of take this long view of what we want to see from a project standpoint matched with uh, the, the shorter-term perspective of, um, you know, helping to build that developer community and, and really get people talking about what you can do with a gig. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, let me and let, come back to let me pile uh, back in on that just or just a little extra um, because I think it is important to think like the word the word hack and like what people do at a hackathon and who comes and what the community is that comes to an event or or that kind of contributes to a larger you know effort the, the broader effort of like how do we how do we benefit our citizens and our in our community with this infrastructure you know the question that many of us are trying to answer. Um, so, so getting like jumping back into the event itself, it's not just about coding. I mean, a lot of the activity is coding or develop, you know, writing more software, but a lot of it is actually, in many ways, it's more the stuff ahead of that. It's it's figuring out, you know, who, who's the user of this? What's the pain problem point? You know, what's the problem I'm really trying to solve? What is, you know, finding the the teacher who understands? Well, look, you have to teach these, you know, something. Let's say if you're trying to solve an educational problem. 
in the context of the curriculum they're learning, where they're at, you know, it needs to make sense in the real world. It needs to actually work. So what I always like to say is, you know, really, you need a whole village to make a useful application of technology, any kind of technology, I think. Um, but so the, the hack events, like, it, it's not just coding. You know, we want to bring in designers, um, like the domain experts, teachers, the you know, actual, actual users, ideally, um, sort of shorten the loop of development to trial to you know and use and loop that around and like make that as tight as possible mm-hmm. so it's about bringing all those various pieces together to an event but but into a larger kind of repeated set of events or repeated sort of you know longer term sustainable sources of funding and you know these things need to live somewhere like if it's just as Aaron said if it's just the kind of uh, you know the college style hack event where it's Friday night and you're not allowed to work on anything ahead of time um, and you come together and you 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 know work something out by Sunday. We want things that last longer than that. I think in in the the cases where we're working. Um, so, and, and oh yeah, I mean, and you see it with other models like Startup Weekend, as well, where it's where it's focused on a business model. So a hack can be a business model. You could come together and like figure out what the business plan is, or you know, like I said, design you know sketch out a wireframe of of how your app would work or what the user experience might be like. Or you could be diving deep in the code. I mean, it's all of those things, and you need all of it really to make it work. So, so now let me ask this question: What then, from Bill Will's your perspective, what is the the goal then? It sounds like the goal is a combination of uh, creating stuff, but also creating systems and opportunities for communities to create. New stuff, and there's a lot involved in just than than just the um, just the what I call it uh, the, the 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 tech stuff involved, yeah. right? Absolutely. So how, then how would you put the you know talk about it in the bigger sense? Sure. I mean, it's a little bit of a the hack event itself is a little bit of a sleight of hand in a way because like you you know you're emphasizing like let's ship you know ship some code like less yak more hack crank on something like show us a demo like build something let's what's the minimum viable product that you can build and ship and test you know so there's a lot of emphasis on that because i think you have to you have to really focus on it because that's hard to do but really what you're doing actually i think that's all that's really more important in a way is you're you're creating social infrastructure you know, you're you're building relationships between people, um, forming a community. You know, all all of these things that if I guess if you tried to do it up front wouldn't work that well. You have to mm-hmm. do it kind of like, I mean, I think having these focused projects, even if they're not for the event itself, but longer term, you know, like a pilot, um, those kinds of things. Like, it's it's a tip of a spear that allows you to you know open up a wider, deeper thing. I, I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but. You know, this, it's it's Aaron likes to quote it. I'll I'll let you throw the quote out, Aaron. But you're ninety percent. Uh, how do you, how do you frame it? Sociology and yeah, yeah. Well, the the process of building the gigabit city is ninety percent sociology and ten percent technology. You're, you're you're familiar with that, Craig? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know you're a, a proponent of that. <laughs> Very much so. I think there's a you know when I try to talk to people, I talk about you know, more than just the the wires and there's there's all kinds of things. I mean there's there's social, there's political, you know, and all these factors kinda of come together 
and at different times in the development of a network win to uh, for a city. And I think that's definitely the case in in Kansas City. You know, you guys have different like uh, what are called groups that are working on different parts of that whole, and it's more than just the bit bites and feeds kind of thing. And I think that's what we're we're you know that's the idea I gathered from the whole you know bringing five cities together. Because you have um, Chattanooga, which has been out there for a couple of years. You've got Kansas City is coming in relatively new. You've got uh, Burlington, uh, Vermont, which people have forgotten about. Um, But they're coming online with their network. Then you have cities, uh, you have uh, San Francisco and Charlotte, which are, you know, best they're on the drawing board to a certain extent. And so you have this kind of five different types of uh, communities that are working together to a point, and, um, but then coming up with separate objectives for their respective cities, which is what I gather was the end result of all of this. Um, so I why don't we just go, in, go into... Uh, you know, starting with Will in, in uh, San Francisco and, and Aaron in Kansas City, what were uh, the things that came out of your respective um, uh, hackathons and how maybe the other three cities uh, did their their thing? Sure. Yeah, yeah, and one thing I'll say to to anyone out there who's kind of intrigued by this, if you're if you're, is that we're you know we were hoping to do things like this again, and uh, you know, not anytime right away. This, this just took a lot of energy. It was just, just ended yesterday, but um, you know, in the next half a year or year for sure, I think we'll do more of these events. And I think, you know, this was the first of its kind of cross city, you know, gigabit uh, hack event. So if we learned a lot from it, and I think. Um, you know, we'll be open to partnering with with other communities um, for for things like this, even if they're you know small communities that maybe are, are just dipping their toe in the water. Um, but yeah, I th- so, that's, so that's the first thing is like stay in touch with us. I think um, we can help do some of the lifting of, of pulling one of these events off um, and all that. So yeah, so okay, so some of what we saw. I mean, we had. Um, I should give you an exact number, but I, I don't actually have the count. I think it was about 15 projects that pitched Friday night. Um, and some of them, you know, like as Aaron said, we didn't we didn't want stuff that had, like, not been worked on until Friday. We We had community calls trying to get projects, you know, connected to new developers, new designers, trying to help them articulate their problems better, trying to figure out what they might actually, you know, be able to get done and, and sort of celebrate on, on the Sunday at the demo session. For We had those calls for like eight weeks before the event. Um, so this was definitely a running start and not even an end at the hack event. We hope these things continue to get built. Um, so we saw, let's see, I mean, I'll start with the awards that we had. Um, six awards. We had an award for the most immersive experience. Uh, we had an award for the most compelling user story. We had an award, an award for the most potential for impact on society. We had an award for the best entertainment experience. And an award for the most innovative application. 
um, the best low latency experience, um, which in many ways, you know, we haven't really talked about what we mean by gigabit, but the low latency aspect of it, sort of blink of an eye responsiveness is, you know, perhaps the most important feature. And then the People's Choice Award. Um, so backing up to what actually won the awards, so the the most immersive experience was um, went to this group called Closer VR Studios, Closer Virtual Reality Studios, and they they basically made a little family greeting card um, where they they took their 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 camera, so they have a VR camera that basically takes you know a bunch of different cameras. I think they had at least a dozen. Uh, in a big kind of housing, so they're all hooked together, but they're pointing different directions, you know, so 360 degrees. And But they can take video, right? So they, they set it down in the living room, and they have this young couple with their two young children, um, you, you know, kind of holding up the, the baby and the, and the toddler and showing off their legs and squeezing the fat, you know, and, and laughing and playing around the camera, and the kids are reaching for it. And it's about a one-minute little thing, um, that you then send to say your, the grandparent who's far away, and they can put on their phone that's in, inside like a Google Cardboard, or if they had an Oculus Rift or whatever their virtual reality device is, and it's really immersive. I mean, the actual one of our judges was the head of marketing for Google Fiber, Scott Levitin, and he um, he really put it put it well. I wish I had the exact wording, but it was kind of like these are the kinds of things that that will make you cry. They're very human, and they're very you know this is why we why we go to the trouble of making technology. Um, I mean, that's not a direct quote, but you know, something like that. And we actually have video of the event, so, so in a few days you'll be able to see exactly what he said. Um, and it's true. It was really cool. I, I, just, I don't know. It's, it's immersive. It's, virtual reality is in its infancy when you, know, you put the headset on and you can, really, you can see the pixels. You can see, you know, it's, it's a grid. You almost see between the pixels. It's, I kind of find it annoying. But it's, when you see the content like that, it's, it's just, yeah, you forget about that and you're just there kind of in a way that you're not with regular video or, or regular pictures. Um, do you want me to go through the, all these top award winners before Aaron jumps in, or should we go back and well, forth? Well, Aaron, yeah, throw in a couple, and then we should probably give a highlight of the other three cities, and then we can kind of come back. And sure. I have some questions about entertainment, but I'll save those for later. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so we had a... Uh, uh, a cool, I mean, sort of along those lines of immersive um, VR technology. We have a, uh, um, there's actually a woman from Columbia, Missouri, who has been really involved in experimental work um, using uh, uh, new technology in journalism and like doing interviews with Google Glass and things like that. And she paired up with. Uh, um, so her name is Sarah Hill. Richard Wolnowski um, has, has been a long-standing participant in our events, uh, and he's got a telepresence-like uh, uh, technology called SightDeck, uh, which sort of combines green screen and telepresence. Anyway, they, they work together. Uh, there's a third guy, too, Ron Green, uh, who has a, uh, a digital storytelling nonprofit here in Kansas City. And so they were working on um, live streaming of virtual reality environments. Uh, and so they got to the point where they had a camera that was set up in the space. Um, interestingly, some of the, the network connections make it difficult to actually stream that over distance, but you can use an Oculus Rift or like a Google, hardboard, Google Cardboard headset, which is, is really just a little cardboard box, and it's got a couple lenses on it, and you use your, um, your, your cell phone, uh, smartphone, and you can 
have like a sort of a stereoscopic display so that you've got this virtual reality um, interface feel to it and you can put it on your head and actually be transported to the real place um, you know that, that the camera is set in. So it's taking this 360 degree uh, image and you can put this over your head and turn your head around and see from side to side. Um, so stuff like that, like it's interesting because we're still we're still pretty early in this stuff. Even from the network side, even as we build out, you know, gigabit networks, and you have places like Kansas City or Chattanooga where maybe you have you know tens of thousands of people that have uh, gigabit internet in their home. That's still one end node in like in one or two or a handful of cities. Um, and it, it, it's there's still a lot of work to do just from a network side standpoint to like make sure all the fiber connections work between these nodes and then to deal with the Wi-Fi network situation because in this case um, the uh, the camera was streaming to the VR headsets through a you know the local Wi-Fi but then that signal being used in one way means that you can't use it for other things and so like doing this over the weekend, we didn't get to a point. I think that there are people, Will, in San Francisco that are working on this too, that were actually trying to film you know, live in San Francisco and stream to Kansas City and vice versa where you could actually turn around and, and you know, look through the, the virtual reality goggles uh, and walk around like you were there. But I don't, I don't know that we got there. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's cool. Like you, we, we took it like a ways, and so you can now record it, and then upload it, and then transport it. But like we're still, <laughs> still in the early stage of this stuff. It was really cool, though. Mm-hmm. So let's get an idea of the other three cities. What kind of stuff came out of those uh, projects? Well, yeah. I mean, well. Can we can we do can we come back to that question? There's there's another app I wanted to share, and I oh, think sure. relates yeah. to one of the apps in Kansas City that kind of go well together. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that won the sort of People's Choice Award, and, and actually won too, is is also um, the best use of low latency or best low latency experience. Was called Frame, F R A dot M E is their website. Okay. They uh, they're a startup of a couple dozen people, and they are basically have created a platform your kind of personal cloud platform that allows you to run any software, any app, you know, from any device and any from anywhere. So it's it's sort of the, they actually used to be called mainframe 2 because it's that old model of the the, ter- the dummy terminal mainframe world that's now possible. And so they actually they came and they hacked together the ability to do 4K streaming, you know, a remote desktop essentially. Um so you could be running on a very modest piece of equipment you know your your iPad or your your Chromebook and like if you had a 4K monitor sitting there and it could drive it, they can pipe you. You could be working on Adobe, you know, Illustrator or some video editing software or something in the cloud, and they can stream it to you. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. It's very sort of future futuristic feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons I think it's really cool. I mean, they're they're actually doing it right now. If you go to Adobe's website and you want to try out Photoshop, you no longer have to download a trial copy. You click play. And it pops open a new window that's all running on frame, and you're just immediately using Photoshop, and it feels like it's local because it's the network's good enough generally. Um, so, so that's really cool. But what I think the cooler thing is, rather than just the sort of 
oh, hey, this allows us to move the, the same application into the cloud, and now I can run it from the cloud with the benefits of that. But what it might allow you to do is design entirely new applications that no one would ever even try to design right now. Um, huh? One example I, I thought of just myself, and I don't, you know, so this is not like this is a half-baked idea, but, um, you know, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, actually, 30 miles south of Kansas City. And I would have loved to, like, get up, check the weather, and have the weather, like, let's say the app was not just for my zip code, but rather, in the, you know, when I picked up my phone and I, and I launched the app to get my weather, it immediately launched on the largest supercomputer you could imagine, a simulation using, you know, advanced fluid d dynamics and, like, modeled, like, airflow and uh, cloud formation around, you know, and all the trees on my farm and the three barns we had. And it gave me, like, an actually good weather prediction, you know, and, like, maybe that took 100 milliseconds or 500 milliseconds on the supercomputer that would have taken a year on my phone or, two, you know, 10 years on my phone to run or, or even on my PC, like, would have taken forever. Right. Um, or just you, you just never think to do that. No application developer would ever do that because they don't have the ability to do that um, right now, right? And I think the, the another demo of a of a company working in Kansas City with Aaron is um, is, is similar. I mean, maybe Aaron, you want to describe Shinra and and sort of it's not just moving gaming to the cloud. Yeah, it's it's entirely different kind of gaming that's possible. Yeah, yeah. So this was really was really fun. Um, Basically, yeah, they're doing doing cloud gaming. Uh, so they have uh, the CPUs and GPUs set up in a data center, and the gamers are all tapping into that, and they're all seeing this one world that is rendered remotely uh, in in an enormous scale um, and and simultaneously. Instead of uh, you know, say you're playing, um, uh, you know, maybe like Mario Kart is a is a really like base level example where, you know, you've got this split screen function and there's two people who are racing each other and you look at the top of the screen and one you can see one person's viewpoint and the bottom of the screen and the other person's viewpoint. Um, right now, if if you have that kind of experience uh, on two machines, like, in, and say you're in different places, you know, each machine is kind of rendering the own person's view. Uh, but with Shinra, you're, you've got everything done in this supercomputer. Uh, that has massive amounts of compute power behind it. So not only do you have the same world and, and each terminal on that world becomes kind of like a window into the world, uh, you have the power to um, like generate a million trees all individually rendered rather than uh, a sort of big you know landscape version of the of the shot. Uh, so you just get a much more finely textured, uh, much more immersive, real-time virtual world experience. Um, yeah, uh, well, and on you, top of you, that, you know this if you, better than I do, Will. So. Oh no, I mean, I was just gonna say, like, the, one of the cool things about that is the world. This, you know, this new world that has been created. It's all, like you said, running in memory. Um, something happens in that world. Say, like, an asteroid hits, or the state of the world changes, essentially it's really hard to update state on everyone's local computer in a way that, uh, you know, if you want to really use advanced physics to show what does it look like to the water when there's this, uh, you know, they show this mountain arising up out of the lake in this little world of, you know, with a million trees and like 16,000 dragons. And they're just like massive tidal waves created by that. And the thing is, you know, it's very accurately modeled 
but you would never do that on your local machine, or if you did, it would not be able. You wouldn't be able to send it to your friends and have them do the same thing. It would just be really hard. But mm-hmm. so you can make entirely new games that are new immersive experiences, really, that are not possible on a local machine. Um, so I think we're we're just entering a world where you're going to see new kinds of applications being built because the cloud is now essentially there's no bottleneck to the cloud. You might, like I guess the edge device is in the cloud effectively mm-hmm. when the network is as fast. So now so, I don't want to, I don't want to lose track of the other other communities. So what other things do we see? Or you used, did you see coming out of say Chattanooga or Ch- Charlotte? Sure. Um, so, you know, interestingly, we we were connecting these cities um, as best we can with the current state of kind of networks and whatnot. And again, this was the first of its kind, so you know, definitely growing pains. But we uh, and we did, you know we had to do some tricks like having Kansas City barbecue or barbecue all at the same time, so we could kind of share a meal across space. And we had some video wormholes between the cities, and we had some telepresent robots that allow you to drive around and, and say hi to people or, or pivot on a uh, turn your video feed remotely so you can kind of feel like you're more there through a Kubi. Um, Revolve Robotics makes this Kubi. Things like that. Um, so so the cities were connected to some extent, but these were also very largely independent events that, w- that were all going on at the same time. Um, so I, don't even, I didn't even see all the demos from the other cities. We saw one, what we did to connect everything at the end of the event was to do a national demo uh, where sort of the top app uh, across each city was presented to all the other cities, and so mm-hmm. from for instance, for, so here's an app for, that came out of um, Burlington, Vermont. They're really interested in like, one of the teams there is really interested in uh, sort of cybersecurity uh, after you know after something happens and you want to get access to someone's computer for sort of forensic purposes. Um, you know how the local police do it a lot of times is 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 slow and it's very physical you have to go get the computer and you don't necessarily have access to the expertise you might need and so they had an idea of well what if you could do that as a service so cybersecurity as a service and be able to remotely access the machine because the network is so fast it's it's as good as being there in person basically so they created some of the first steps towards towards demoing that so that let's say local law enforcement say there's a kidnapping or some, you know, imagine when it, pick your scenario, and you could you could dial like a local police force could dial in help from, you know, the world's experts in, in trying to understand what happened and and trying to help maybe help rectify the situation. And you wouldn't have to have days or or weeks, in you know, in the middle of this, you could do it seconds, milliseconds, you know, like and pull people in and collaborate and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron, did you did you talk to these folks in Charlotte or, or Chattanooga? Maybe can you give it? Yeah. Yeah. So Charlotte, the their their winning app was something called SimuOffice uh, to help distributed teams work better together. Uh, and the idea was that you could log in, and you see these virtual offices with different sets of teams working together, uh, and then you can kind of pick the team that you want to work with. You get a continuous live video feed. But one of the cool things is that it's adjusting your volume so that um, the further away teams in this environment were quieter and the closer teams were loudest, and you can switch between teams that you want to work with. So it sort of approximates the experience of being able to go walk up to a, uh, a work team and still you know, have that just sort of overhearing what's going on with their work that they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting, actually, because that's, you know, when Will was talking about how we connected the other cities and the 
the Kubis and the Beams and uh, Ubu and some of the other things that we try to do. You know, that's one, I think, sort of persistent um, need in terms of how you use these networks to create better virtual connections is the sound management, like how you how you create, I mean, and Cisco obviously does a lot of work on this, and this is why their telepresence suites are so highly engineered and so precise and so similar so that you can actually, you know, have sound coming from where it sounds like it's supposed to come in a in a virtual environment. Um, but this is the thing that they're working on in, in Charlotte, which is pretty cool. Interesting. There's definitely uh, some some, uh, some new stuff showing up there. Um, did we get all? Did we did we all the cities there? We talked about what Charlotte and Chattanooga. Oh, Barnett. Bar- yeah, right. We got them all. Okay. Um, so now, what's? I should say, what's what's next? What what do you what do you envision? In terms of, I don't know, numbers of companies coming out of these hackathons, will it just be ideas that'll be better um, refined. How do you see the thing going from here? You start with well, I'll Eric. give one plug for for something that we finally that we finally launched out of here, and we've been kind of kicking this around for a while. But uh, Jason on my team and I spent. Uh, a good part of our weekend getting a uh, a gigabit beta tester panel ready to launch and so if you go to gigabitcitylab.com uh people who have gigabit connections at home um and and want cool things to do on them can sign up uh and uh our goal over time is to be able to track this stuff a lot of which is really in early beta as we as we've talked about um mm-hmm. But like Shinra, for example. So Shinra is going to come here, and they're going to be looking for a thousand uh, Google Fiber customers to try their platform starting in June. Uh, so that's that's pretty well baked, and they'll be doing that. But things like um, the, uh, the the frame template that Will was talking about, or like our software lending library here, or even Simul Office. Like as these things get to a stage of, hey, we've got this kind of early product that we want to start getting out to users and see how it goes. Uh, you can go to the Gigabit City Lab panel and start testing with users. From a user perspective, you know, you've got some people who are just getting this, you know, Gigabit because they they want to, or it's cheap, or it's cool, and they just want to, you know, have it and watch TV. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are signing up for this. They're like, okay, what can we do with this? We really want to see these first things that are coming down, uh, coming down the pike. Uh, so that's that's one one quick plug. Hopefully, uh, if you've got Gigabit at home. Or if you've got, you know, 100 megs, 300 megs, fast fast pipes, and want um, to hear about new stuff that you can try, uh, go to Gigabit City Lab and sign up. Mm-hmm. Now this brings up a question, which is, are we going to have to arrive arrive at a certain critical mass in order to get more um, uh, projects and products released? Um, will, will this or what? What's the what's going to be the um, what's going to be the the outcome of these these uh, hackathons? Well, I think I mean Aaron can speak to this as well. And that, and I guess we've both been working on this for 
four or five years, I think. Um, there's really, I mean, with most technology, and certainly with this kind of technology, there's a chicken and egg problem where you don't have any use for it, no applications, so there's not much infrastructure because why would you build infrastructure? <laughs> but right. since there's no infrastructure, there are almost no applications because why would you build the applications? So, you know, the stuff that we're doing through these hack events and through the kind of U.S. Ignite effort uh, kind of across the nas- at the national level um, and uh, you know, the, the reason we're banding together with these other cities and creating a kind of bigger community is to help break that loop and actually create these applications because it is a big investment for a community or even convincing someone, you know, in Google in Kansas City that is passed by Google Fiber to say, pay for Google Fiber instead of some some other service that may, you know may be less expensive. Why why would you you know like unless you can really tell a compelling story, it's still kind of like, well, why would I buy this? You know, it's it's. Mm-hmm. I think right now, the applications of gigabit internet are really, you know, a better internet experience and maybe a, a better television experience. You know, it's not. It's not the fundamentally new transformative stuff that you can't do right now. Just because there isn't the infrastructure is not there, and that, that that loop I mentioned is is still there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know, but but uh, I think we'll see those things soon. I think it'll it'll take a little bit more critical mass, um, but hopefully some of these applications well, go go ahead go get you know get baked far enough and can tell the story such that. The, you know, it becomes, you know, and the infrastructure just gr- grows because um, people want it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's more, I think it's more incremental. I mean, I think that you, you are seeing these things, things that are gigabit apps uh, that are that are pretty mainstream that people don't necessarily recognize as gigabit apps. So, like at, uh, at South by Southwest this year, two months ago, um, this Meerkat app debuted, which was a, you know, sort of like streaming for Twitter, you know, so that you can just sort of stream live video from your phone. So, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, uh, when when Twitter went mainstream, right, it's just 140 characters of text, and then you have people adding pictures to it, and so you get Instagram, and then you've got, you know, pictures on Twitter, and then you upgrade to video, and you've got Vine, and now you've got like live streaming of video, and you know it's a little bit grainy, and it works for some people, and it's you know okay. Um, so, you, but but you had you had Meerkat, which kind of blew up, and then you had Twitter launch Periscope. So you've got this whole like world developing where people are live streaming video from their phones, and they're doing it without without gigabit networks in most places, and without Wi-Fi that can really fully support it in the way that it's going to be supported. But mm-hmm. these are apps that would not have existed, and I don't even think that that they would have um, developed and entered the marketplace in the way they have now if there weren't the context of like people are talking about gigabit internet and connectivity all over the place in a way that they weren't three or four years ago. And you know, the FCC just upped the standard for broadband to 25 megs down, and I don't know five or whatever megs up. Like the what what people are thinking of as broadband and as acceptable networks has changed, even from a public opinion standpoint, to the to the point where apps like Meerkat and Periscope are are ready to debut, even though they're probably still a little bit a little bit clunky and not quite the experience that we want. But man, <laughs> if if we get 
to the point where we've got ubiquitous gigabit that is also supported by you know strong Wi-Fi networks or you know spectrum usage. Uh, that's going to be a hugely powerful tool. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess the point is I think like I think we're seeing them. I think that we're seeing the things that do this, and we're seeing the behavior changes. Um, just the amount of video and visual content that people take and are and are starting to move around. Uh, you, you see people doing that in a way that they that they just didn't used to do. Hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll put a self uh, a self plug in for a little blog piece I, I uh, published a couple months ago now I guess on um, TechCrunch called "The Gigabit Age Is Upon Us," mm-hmm. and I you know it's a kind of a provocative statement that I, I don't I don't really think in a hundred years or fifty years that anyone's going to be talking about this like the Stone Age or something or you know, but the Gigabit Age just that. That the the features of fiber, which we haven't explicitly stated, but these are kind of the things we like to talk about when we mean gigabit, mm-hmm. are you know almost more importantly, it's four things like blink of an eye, responsiveness, you know, extreme, essentially extremely low latency. Um, it's also the fact that it's um, very like very reliable, you know, always on, twenty four seven. You can trust it, you know, like high quality of service. It is the ability to, like to share. Or create, or can you know create as much as you're consuming because the connection is symmetrical upload and download generally, um, or more so than than many of their broadband implementations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, it's you know it's uh, abundant resolution, you know real world quality visuals or audio or whatever. So so you feel it's very immersive, um, or or it's low friction for moving big data around. So then this is the bandwidth piece. Which I think is what people mostly think of when they think of gigabit is just 1,000 megabits per second, um, mm-hmm. and that's you know it, it's really when I think when you bring those four fa- four features together that you're going to enable new applications you know kind of like moving from the telegraph to the telephone where suddenly oh, yeah. okay. like oh I can hear your voice like wow I re- I really felt like I was at your birthday party even though I'm you know across the country that is amazing <laughs> you know um, yeah so, you know. We had we had we had a um, an app called Virtual Lawyers in the library, and they do they basically connect lawyers with people who need access to legal advice and you can't afford it, and they go to the library to get it. and And it's hard to get lawyers to take the time to drive to the library in the rural area, or, or you know. But if they can do it by telepresence with video and, and some document scanning, then they can get people to d- you know dedicate pro bono time. But if you're going to trust your lawyer, you need to be able to like you know look them in the eye and, and feel like you really connected with them, you know. Um, so that kind of, I mean, I think it'll enable us to really come away with connections and, and empathy, other things that, that we it's hard to now. Um, we've kind of I don't know. We got used to cell phones and how I, it feels like you're on a radio, choppy. Like you don't you know, it's hard to talk over each other in a meaningful way. Like you talk over each other, but it's kind of an accident. Whereas in real life, people talk over each other all the time, and it's natural. It feels good, you know. And we don't. We're going to have that with video and, like, really high-resolution video, so you can really, like, see what you're looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. So, no, so yeah, I mean, in that piece, I kind of threw out, the, you know, the the telephone or, or like, the you know, the killer app for the telephone. It, it, it's unclear what it is, but, it, you know, there are many, many kinds of killer apps, but we, we don't know what that is for fiber yet. We don't know what the, the sort of bedrock applications the tools that we'll that we'll use like every day because we have these features you know, of super fast networking. Um, we don't know what those things are yet. The Facebook of fiber or the email, the email of tomorrow. Um, 
that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, I think Aaron's hinting at, Aaron's right, there are hints, but there might be things that are just totally different, you know, that we, that we just can't do now and, and no one would think to do now. All right. Now, one of the things that I you think... You see that uh, the news... Is that good? Oh, sorry. I just did, like, I don't know if you saw the news out of Comcast today, that they're actually letting you stream, um, like, to certain of their Xfinity subscribers, stream oh, your Periscope content to the set-top box of people that are in your network. Oh, cool. Which, like, is amazing to me. I mean, like, so, and, and like, I don't know, you, you think about what this is going to do. Like, for so long, the bastion of uh, of network television has been live events. But if everyone at the baseball game can stream it from their phone to anyone else, I don't know, like, we're getting a little far afield, I guess, but no, these are the true. kind of things that are starting to happen, and it's like I don't know. It's, I think it's really well, interesting. It, it, it gets a little bit back to the the sharing based idea, or creation enabling, you know, symmetry of connection, but all, and it also opens up a whole new. What does that mean for storytelling? You know, what does it mean to experience mm-hmm. an event rather than from the fixed point of view of the director who wanted you to see something from a certain angle, but you get to choose now. Um, you know, we had. We had an app come through the door uh, called from a, a startup across the bay, or not a startup. There's just a small company. They've been around for a while called Phase Space, and they do a bunch of different things. But they're kind of all in this world of immersive visual experience. Like they have very high-speed industrial cameras that they can place in many viewpoints around something. Um, wh- whether that's they actually have a studio where people can go in and and put you know fiduciary marks on their body and and then like take video of that person and get like the, the body movements and various things and take it into the digital world. But they also do baseball games and you know like high super high speed cameras for baseball games and and they showed an app or they showed a demo where they'd put up nine different camera viewpoints on a four K display um of a pitcher pitching to a batter and like seeing it in you know super high frame rate video obviously slowed down so that it looks like it's in slow motion. And being able to choose your angle so you can see the pitch coming in and the batter reacting and moving and it's the kinds of it's going to be really cool and doing that sort of matrix time rotational effect where you know you, you instead of staying on one camera you rotate around sideways so you can basically see things and kind of stop it stops and freezes and rotates you know um, th- those kinds of things are, are becoming very very possible um, and yeah. Interesting. There's one thing I wanted to jump on was, on, I believe one of the cities had some apps in the area of uh, telemedicine. I consider the telemed world as kind of like the sleeper application for gig networks because I think that there's the potential to this becoming bigger than economic development and a number of other aspects that we sort of think of gigabaps being, you know, leaders in, but I think that we haven't really tapped into the full potential of the uh, telemedicine world. What do you guys think about that? And wasn't there wasn't there a uh, an app app or two at from the weekend that was in, involved in uh, telemedicine in some way? Sure. Aaron, yeah. I mean, we had we had a couple. Aaron, you wanna did you? We've had uh, 
a series of them at, at previous events. I don't think that we had anyone specifically working on telemedicine this time. So we had one. In fact, it was it won the award for most compelling user story, um, and it was called it's called Jerry Joy G E R I J O Y, and it's actually a startup that's in our accelerator program called Orange Fab. Um, and basically, the idea is that uh, their their first customer is, is de- patients with dementia. And they actually showed a little piece that they were featured on the local news where they had this 93-year-old woman who's got dementia. Um, and this she's able to interact with a – it's a tablet-based or a lap – I mean, it could be tablet or laptop, but essentially a, a remote person who is represented by an avatar so that it's like a dog or a cat um, on the screen. So they kind of have this virtual animal that they can talk to, and they can pet it, and they can – you know, interact with it. So it's kind of fun. I mean, that it sort of draws on some of the, the research in, in, you know, interacting with animals is actually really good for people. Um, and what it allows them to do is do remote video and audio to someone elsewhere in the world, maybe where labor is cheaper or where you just, like, people are awake because <laughs> of time differences or whatever, and give a 24-7, 365 kind of continuity of care for for the, a person who has dementia. And that's really important when we, like, because it takes time to become comfortable with someone or you know uh, uh, or the pet or the animal and so like you, they get to like speak and it's converted to you know there's this sort of synthetic speech to voice to the for the animal even though they're different people on the back end at different times of day um but they can talk to them they can remind them to take their medications they created a whole system you know to allow continuity of care basically you know in a fr- in a friendly way um and that you know that's not there are so many pieces to health and wellness that's obviously not going to solve everything, but you can start to see something like that is not even possible. You're allow you're giving someone like, essentially a personal caregiver or kind of advocate on the side. It is virtual, so it's not like going to give you the medication, but they're there to talk to, and they can show pictures. In fact, it showed the woman, you know, they were talking. She's talking with the animal, and he, the, the dog says like, "Oh, do you do you remember this picture?" And she and so it shows this little picture, and she's like, "Oh, I remember that picture," you know, and it's touching um it's really cool the ability for developers and entrepreneurs to to make these apps is going to be i guess uh very dependent on their ability to make the experience real for the prospective buyer is that not a good uh, observation yeah because, Absolutely, and know, I think the challenge right now to do, to be building and selling truly gigabit applications, because there are so few customers. I mean, who actually you know who have fiber to their house um, relative to the market who has you know typical broadband. So when you even something so something like Jerry Joy, which I just mentioned, like they're building it for the lowest common denominator with you know modest, pretty modest internet, and that's. It's it's not the same experience it'll be when you when it's you know extremely fast. Like the latency matters when you're talking to the person who's pretty far away. Having a lag of a second or something starts to starts to make it not feel natural, you know. Um, but so it, there is this tricky phase where it, it's like the only companies that can really be doing get quote unquote gigabit apps are ones where they also make a non gigabit version essentially, you know. Ah, uh, okay, I see what you're saying. There, there needs or to be. It's just. A- it's just they're enhanced by, yeah. That makes sense. Now, let me, um, we've got about 
eight minutes or so left over. I wanted to ask about inter- entertainment. How valuable are the apps that focus on entertainment for? And then, Aaron, both you and and Will can comment on this. Uh, I mean, it's essential. Um, I think. But yeah, go go ahead, Aaron. I think I've been taking all the first shots. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I think I think we'll be in in violent agreement on this. Um, <laughs> I mean, that that's what moves the market. I mean, it's not an accident that uh, when Google came to town, their primary you know advertising tagline was "Crystal Clear HD, record eight shows at once." Um, you know, that's what that's what sells. Uh, and I mean, you look at at the gaming stuff, you look at the the virtual reality industry. I mean, you look at, I mean, <laughs> the, the the porn industry pioneers a lot of digital technology because they can make money out of it and they can do it fast. And they're actually held to sort of a low bar of how <laughs> of how good and market ready it needs to be because it's sort of you know uh, scrappy and experimental anyway. And that's because people you know buy things like that. Uh, so you'll see, um, I mean, even though they're the, the high-minded, you know, education and healthcare and public safety and security, like the things that, you know, in a lot of ways motivate my interest in working on this stuff, like because you want to see these, these, um, these fields benefit from the technology, the, <laughs> the, the more crass and base level, uh, you know, just desire to have, you know, entertainment or have fun, or whatever else certainly certainly moves the market because uh, that's where people can make money fastest. Oh yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, to just a slightly, you know, slightly add to that. I think what you see. I mean, inter- entertainment. You know, is a lot of entertainment is about like an immersive experience or sort of or, or storytelling and enjoying you know some kind of a narrative. Um, or, or an experience of someone else's life, or a different vantage point on things, you know, or, or seeing something, uh, just seeing something different, seeing something new. And I think the the more realistic, the more vivid, the more it feels just like you're there. Um, the better the story is, the better the experience is, the more you enjoy it. You know, the the more the hair tingles on the back of your neck. And so I think that that's it's easy to see why entertainment will drive a lot of these technologies because. You know, uh, pe- even people now are kind of talking about, well, we can stream 4K and it doesn't. You don't need that much bandwidth, maybe, but to, you know, you can debate about that. But I'm looking at my TV. You know, and I, we don't have a giant TV. I don't know, 40 inches at home, and it's like, I I want the entire wall to be a screen. I'm look like I get a lot of photons hitting my eyes from areas that are not part of this sort of storytelling experience and it's it would be extremely immersive if it were the holodeck you know mm-hmm. so i i think we're not going to hit a bandwidth limit for a while in, in entertainment stuff because really you want to feel like you're there um it's yeah and that and that means a lot of resolution the real world is extremely high bandwidth let's put it that way mm-hmm. interesting indeed so we got i want to take about a minute for each of you to answer the question um, what is the key thing that will help make a uh, hackathon successful? Starting with, well, I'll start with Aaron. <laughs> well, it depends what your goals are. Um, 
if you want successful projects and you want to use and you want to adopt a brand new technology, I think that you've got to invest time in educating people beforehand um, and in helping to really uh, seed the the combination of technology idea, but also the problem that people are invested in that has stakeholders that people want to solve. Uh, over a few years of doing this, those have been the most successful collaborations uh, in terms of actually generating in terms of actually generating real projects that move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Will, what's your what's your take on what makes a successful acton? Yeah, uh, man, there's a lot to it, but uh, the secret to success, I think, is a diverse community um, in terms of expertise, experience, you know, ideas, perspective on the world, et cetera. Um, and so I think, like, the more, you know, bringing together a really, like, diverse, interesting set of people to, is, is the secret to success. But I will also add that in terms of organizing a hack event, um, the key thing is like a deep empathy for who the participants are. You know, if you can put yourself in the mindset of a startup who's trying to do something, they got a lot of priorities. Um, why? What's going to you know? What's going to help them get their next product released, or get some get some PR fuel for what they're doing, or you know, or, or get an award maybe uh, from the head of marketing for Google Fiber? You know, like things that they can make some hay with, um, or, or help progress their their project you know, having the ability to like really deeply empathize with that user or that participant, you know, and, but also maybe the, the college student who shows up wanting to, you know, learn some new things and, and also contribute their, their talents and expertise. You know, what does that person want? Well, you know, that means you need to get good food, Kansas city barbecue, and you know, that <laughs> get good food, have coffee, have like a good clean, you know, good venue, uh, fun people, like make sure the, that the the culture of the event is very open and inclusive and you know and, and there's just a lot to it but i think mean, the key to that is all back to that empathy so if you're organizing a hack event uh, like really deeply understand like you're taking people's time what what are you what are you giving you know what what's in it for them i guess mhm mm that so, include and including as Aaron said like the fact that you need resources and, and money and, and other things to take a project and make it, you know, make something actually happen. People want this stuff to be, they don't want an award at a hack event. They want to like change the world. So, you know, you got to figure out how to connect them to the seed fund or the national science foundation, maybe research grants or local other, you know, the, getting a, getting a home for a project at the Kansas city public library or whatever the case may be. Um, right. So there's a lot to think about, but I think it's all boils back down to like a deep empathy for all the various participants that you want, you want to try and pull together. Okay. Well, that's about all we're going to be able to call, uh, talk about today. But I want to thank uh, Will and Aaron for being guests here and giving us all a little bit of insight, some more about what's going on in the uh, in the world of gig apps. So I thank you, gentlemen, for your time and your insights here. It's been very helpful. Thank you very thank much, Greg. We really. It's been fun. And uh, we will be on again this week. We'll have um, a little bit of uh, insight of what's coming on in uh, Connecticut and their gigabit, uh, gigabit uh, initiative, and then also from Riverley, um, Iowa. So stay tuned. There will be more good stuff coming out. Uh, talk to you 
soon. Bye.